From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya. Well, tonight is a very special one because we have the full-length episode all dedicated to Mr. Hamad Al-Saraf. 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 I think I just got the pronunciation wrong, which is a bit of a spoiler, <laughs> spoiler, spoiler warning that uh, we actually got the pronunciation pretty close, according to him. Uh, so the whole episode tonight is us talking with Hamad about his awesome science fiction film called In Paradox, and that is available on Netflix. Go back a couple of episodes of Space Brains and you will find us talking and reviewing the whole film in detail in all of its glory. And then tonight we are talking to the Mr. Writer and Director of the film, Hamad Al-Saraf. Yes, and I think the big takeaway here that we're all going to enjoy is hearing the passion and the ideas and the process behind the movie. For me, it gave me a great connection to the story and allowed me to view it again in much greater detail. What about you, Mark? I thought it was just so good to finally get that opportunity to have the filmmaker's intentions, you know, and he goes on uh, quite a bit of detail about, you know, him specifically, why he sat down to write this story. Every episode, if you listen to Space Brains, we do talk about what, what, well, this is what we think the filmmaker wanted. <laughs> this is what we get as an audience member, but to actually have the writer and director Tell us that, you know, answer that question was finally a dream come true. Wasn't it was it? wonderful because he even <laughs> then answered. So go back and listen to our episode and Definitely. watch the movie. Watch the movie first, listen to the episode because he does answer some of the questions we asked in that episode Definitely. that we were wondering about. Starting with pronunciation. <laughs> Starting with pronunciation. <laughs> so finally someone came in and contacted us. Yeah. We did pretty good actually, yeah. I'm happy with that. I think Hamid, you know, obviously, but yeah, his surname... It could go either way. <laughs> and without further ado, here is our interview with Hamad Al-Saraf uh, of Q8, the director and writer of In Paradox. We're, we've been doing Space Brains for about 19 months now. And like we have this ongoing joke quite often. We do try to pick a huge variety of films from different cultures and different countries. We don't just try to stick with, you know, good old American or Hollywood films. Yeah, we've done the... the... Spanish and yeah. Turkish and Chinese and Kuwait, and, Kuwait. <laughs> and you know, was, we like we like to pick around a bit. Yeah, the the problem we have, of course, is uh, we are not multilingual. No, not so at all. we have we have great trouble with names, uh, even with some of the Australian directors. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so we we always have this thing where, where we would like to invite people that that we mispronounce their names to to correct us and let us know how to say it. So yeah, yeah. Actually, you said my name quite right a little. Yeah. 
Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> Maybe one, one time we got it right. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So is it well, Muhammad Al Sarif or is it Saraf? Saraf. Saraf. Okay. Excellent. See, there we go. We win straight away. We got pronunciation Finally, right. Finally, yes. Finally. <laughs> so that's very good. Thank you, Hamid, for joining us. Um, so, uh, well, yeah, we'd like to talk to you a bit about Imparadox because uh, it's quite a, I suppose there's a fair bit of complexity to what's going on and, and uh, there's there's the uh, the heart and the mind and, and there's this trauma and there's uh, old cities and, you know, beautiful uh, forested hills, which we're curious about. So, so I guess we'd like to, we'll get into some asking some questions about in paradox and see how, how we go from there. Yeah. Would you like to take us away, Mark? Yeah, well, I, again, probably after the pronunciation thing, the next burning question we always have for the director, and in your case, writer and director, is what, what made you want to, you know, write this story and then create this story for the big screen? What... What were your intentions? What did you think uh, going into this process of this story that comes out in In Paradox? Actually, always the stories always come from the voice inside of you that that speaks in constantly inside your head. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's what you always uh, get attracted to. Like I I I always looked for my voice for a long time until I found out that what i really like to speak about in generally as a person through film is you know when you have uh, personal stories that are uh, said or stories that are told on a backdrop of a touch of science fiction and fantasy in a new way it's like i don't like to go pure sci-fi mm. uh, like let's say uh, what, what what Nolan does with his films and, and the relativity of space and time and all of that kind of thing. I would go more with the old culture of what we can call it. So it's, it's actually a mix of fantasy and sci-fi. I don't know how to call it. It's like, you know, the, 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 the imagination part of your mind, where it takes you. It's like some, some superstitious cultures, some cultures of like, let's say, don't go there, there's a, a shack with an old lady that eats people, and then you <laughs> discover that she's someone good. And you know, these kind of stories, when you when you tell them, it's like I use this kind of technique to uh, take that character into an abstract kind of way, but it's totally not abstract. So when I when I started writing in Paradox, it was about someone who had memories, he didn't know if they are his or not. He, he was confused. And the idea developed slowly. And I said, okay, if someone doesn't know if they had memories that are theirs or not, then uh, there, there are two possibilities. Because I experienced this myself. I took some of my friends back in, I think, 2011 uh, to an, a small island here in Kuwait. It's called Failaka. It's somehow not... Uh, people abandoned that island somewhere after the 90s, after uh, Iraq was in, uh, invaded Kuwait, and then we, it was liberated. People moved to the city. So there are still old houses there. There are artifacts. There, they've been uh, finding some uh, historical places 
under uh, the ground, which now has a huge team of, of, of people that are rediscovering the ancient mm. culture that used to be there. So I took these friends for a walk and then we went and, and you know, it's like a small tour of the island. Mm -hmm. one, one moment really got to me when I saw, it's like a swing. And I, I had a memory of me and a small girl playing that swing. But the strange thing is, I've never been to Freilaka when I was there. Mm. It's like, then whose memory is this? It's not deja vu, it's a memory. It, I, it was a memory. So I went, came back home and I said, I just had a memory that I don't know if it's mine or not. <laughs> and I tried to explore that part. Uh, this is where my voice comes from. It's, it's the imagination that you create inside your brain and you take yourself places. And that's how I wanted to bring this story to, into it. Like, let me create a world where this guy goes through something and he wants to discover it and take control of it because his life is like a mess. And then slowly it developed, it developed, it developed until I said, okay, it's a trauma, I have to go. You have two sides to fall on actually. You either justify it science-wise, we have two brains or you come up with a theory yeah. that exists or create a new one, or you fall back on mental illness. I didn't want to go to that part of the sci-fi part because I wanted to make it personal yeah. as much as I can to that person because uh, it, there's always something about the story that always uh, drew me in is, is the idea of having a memory that you don't know where it originates from. Yeah. And, and because I've also lost my father back in 2010, that's why I said, okay, let me say something that is related to a father mm. created this impact on this person and took him through this journey to discover something about his past that he had to let go of, but he couldn't. So this is where it started. And then, you know, the process of screenwriting and it takes some time. Yeah. And then you develop it more. And actually this is where I'm heading in, in most, I think of my films is to find that smart, sorry, that small part inside of your imagination and try to make a story world out of it and, and place that character into circumstances that flesh out his character and shows him who he is. And at the end, you, you, you either learn or you don't, it depends on the story, but it's, this is who we are. And I like to tell these kind of stories because I feel there's enough people who are, who are telling a lot of uh, stories in many different genres. Mm. To be able to stand out right now in, in this extremely, extremely intense competition mm. worldwide yeah you have to just be yourself yeah your own so it's, it's quite a i suppose a sort of a personal movie than this one a bit uh, coming from your own concept of having these uh other memories of of the swing for example but then also bringing in some of your own personal life there with your father i mean that's uh it's quite interesting because i was wondering about in this story the trauma which kicks off the mental exploration i suppose could really have been anything it, it could have had a a car accident or he could have you know 
had a fight with his girlfriend or something, you know, or his brother or something. But yeah, I was wondering why, yeah, you'd chosen this particular um, scenario. Yeah, this was, this was a note from a script doctor. He said, for you to make the justification really like uh, convincing for someone, what would make someone enter his head? It yeah. has to be something very extreme. And I tried to find something extreme and I wanted to go, this is the part where I wanted to add my part of, of life into the story you have to add sometimes things you know just so you can have that drive to make that story to tell that story so i said the most traumatic thing that happened in my life is i just lost my father suddenly with no indications of anything and he just like that in a snap and that was a huge impact so i said this i put in the story and then i said let me make it more traumatic so it can be like a PTSD thing, mm. which made him suppress that memory and not remember it. Just to make it justifiable in, in, a, in, a, in a very, uh, let's say, medical way. So if anyone watches the film, he would say, yes, if someone loses his father that way, it could happen that he would suppress that memory of that day and not remember it later. Yeah. And I was just going to say, when you, you talked about, you know, using your imagination and expanding that way. Do, are you someone like as a filmmaker or an artist, do you, do you think those ideas come straight out of your imagination? Or do you think there's kind of a, a bigger picture going on, like ideas kind of hit you and you're the writer, you're the filmmaker, and it's up to you to then express those ideas. And I just say that because my, I, with myself, like, I feel like there's times that like an idea just whacks me in the head, you know, <laughs> and it's and it's kind of, you know, and then, and I do I do believe in 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 what people say, uh, what call what they call intuition. Yeah, yeah, but but I think all of us are are uh, receptors and like antennas to ideas. Yeah, we yeah. get we get exposed to many things through our days and lives. We've watched so many films, uh, listened to many songs, seen paintings, seen things, experienced things. That blend inside of you creates a certain kind of print that receives these kind of ideas. It's like, I wouldn't receive an idea about uh, a melodrama. It's not me. It's, mm. Even when my friends know me, like if your friends come to you and say, oh no, you won't make a film like that. It's not you because it's your character. So I think, yeah, I do get these splashes of ideas sometimes. It just comes in the shower <laughs> while you're walking, <laughs> while you're running, you know? Yeah. And then I try to explore them. And this is where the process of, of writing a script comes. And it, it, it's really long. Yeah. It takes some time uh, to develop and think of and try to say, okay, I'm going to tell a story. Is, is this a story I want to tell? Is this mm. something that is related to me personally? Mm. Why do I care about telling this story? Yeah. Because sometimes I like to tell people we all are living this life just to receive and learn and, and see how things go and how to become be better people. So in ways, uh, this is what I do. When an idea comes, I, I see if it's me, I, I start writing things down. If it's not, then uh, I just release it. And it yeah, let it go. 
Yeah, let it go to the right person who might tell that idea. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that you've kind of taken on something that's an idea, but then also you've, you're saying you've mixed in this personal experience with your own father and what happened to you. And you've probably really drawn that emotion then into the script. And then it has made it such a genuine story then, you know, for the character, the key character. And, uh, and then you're, you, the writer and the director, are seeing that play out. So did you, did the, was that a bit cathartic for you, for your experience by the time you got to see it? It was at certain points difficult to write certain parts because I, I would say, okay, what are the decisions that you need to take as a screenwriter to put in that scene? How, how am I going to construct it? I was in a dilemma and, and it was like, it was a pull and push and back yeah. and forth. Is it a guilt? Did he die by, by mistake? Was it sudden? Is he guilty? Is he really guilty or not? And exploring that part made me explore parts of myself as well. So it's like, you know, there are these thoughts that you have, which you know are yours, that you are screaming every day inside of your head that you want to just say them. I don't, I'm not the type maybe who tweets every five minutes his thoughts. I don't think I'm that type of person. I like to take my thoughts and really form them in a way and say what I want to say in, in a story because yeah. I think it's the best medium for me uh, as a person to tell a story and let the ideas come from that story itself. And I will put my part, my personal part within that story because it's what drives me as well. Right? So. That's what happens during uh, the process. I think uh, I'm going through one now, now also because I'm writing something new and it, it's, it's also difficult to decide what's <laughs> Yeah, that, I, I, we can, we, I, you're really that passion's coming through, which is brilliant. I love it. It's, it's very infectious what you're, the way you're describing that process, you know? So yeah, I'm loving that. So well, thank you for that. Yeah, so, so let's do a bit, I guess, more about the, the making of the film Self and we're interested to know uh, what were your biggest problems that you encountered whilst filming? Uh, problems with uh, locations or actors? Maybe maybe the locals didn't like you setting up cameras and, and blocking off streets or um, yeah times you know storms coming through and wrecking things. Has a problem has problems that come with it and and it's it's about <laughs> it's really about how you can find a way to overcome those parts. I, I see them always as challenges and I look at problems differently than any uh, of my friends or the people that know me very well. I see problems as a way that you either develop something that overcomes and overtakes that thing, or it's like a sign to make you do it in another way, which also works and might be successful even more. So the, the, one of the problems was this story is about a Kuwaiti guy. So, okay, I'm going to abstract this film. I can't shoot in Kuwait. It's not abstract. <laughs> if you put a Kuwaiti in Kuwait, then this is not abstraction. So what do I do? And this is one of the things that I had to search for the location. Where do I film? 
And it was by coincidence that I, I met this guy at a film festival and he was uh, a producer in Iran. He said, why don't you come and film there? I'll, he, I'll deal with all the processing of the paperwork, the permits, locations. I'll help you with uh, the crew, the DP and everyone. We'll gather a team slowly and that that took a lot of time and it was a big problem okay now when you're going to abstract that means maybe this is something that not sensed by non-arabic speakers but the dialect in each character was different it's like one was speaking uh, let's say you know the difference between canadian french and france french there's a slight difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I went to school in Canada for a while and had to learn the French there. And then I came back to Australia and I did some French lessons here before I went on holidays to France. And yeah, so I, I was getting things a bit wrong. Same in, in Germany. I, I was born in Germany and initially uh, up in the north. And then at school when I did German, I was being taught by an, an Austrian down from the south of Germany. And so there were a few sort of vowel sounds and pronunciations that I was being corrected on, but I was like, but that's the one I know. What, what, yeah, exactly. It's the, it's, it's the same thing with these characters. So it was a huge problem to find actors from different countries that fit well on the screen. And uh, the process was, was hectic. Casting, 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 <laughs> casting, and then now the the, other, the the most difficult thing is it was like six seven different countries and you're going to fly them in all into one place and that was one of the biggest challenges i've ever met because i was also the producer of the film and thank god i had this friend producer who worked with me on this film and, and he, he really helped a lot but the locations were actually uh, we were just picky no, not this place, let's find a better place. At some point we thought we couldn't find the main house, the villa, the big one. I couldn't feel the places that I've seen. So I said, I really need a place that has this kind of touch. And we kept searching, searching. And by coincidence, we heard one guy say, oh yeah, let them tomorrow go and see that villa in, in, in somewhere or <laughs> so. The AD was standing next to me and said, wait, wait, I think something really happened. And this is when we found that house. It belongs to the, um, the mother of the Shah of Iran, who, who oh. passed away a long time ago, who was uh, overthrown by the, the government right now. And uh, it's still owned by the family. And the, 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 the place was designed in an extremely magical way. This house was like a masterpiece. It's 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 not square. It's all hexagons placed next to each other that created this villa. And it's you see it as a, as a normal house, but it has a floor, ground floor, but you can only access it from the back, which is a small <laughs> part. And then there's this this staircase that takes you on to the upper level, which is also ground floor when you enter it from the front. <laughs> it, was a, it was a beautiful place. This was one of the major uh, problems I had to face when I needed to find the locations. 
in terms of closing certain places, some people gave us hard times in certain locations. You know, the curiosity of the people, they won't give you uh, that space, but in some of the locations, no. I, I, I've, I've, uh, I've seen something I've never seen before. Everyone was pitch quiet, mm. even a drop of a pen. In, in one of the locations, although there were like many people watching us filming. But it's like, I think in Iran, they understand the cinema culture because they have a lot of movies made all over the year. And uh, that was very interesting to experience in, in a country like that. And the other problems which you can face is an actor goes off, doesn't want to work anymore. It happened with me in one of the characters. And um, post-production sound, I had to change the sound designer after three months of working on post-production. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that was like the biggest uh, fall in post-production. Uh, was, But thank God, the, the, the other sound designer that we brought, in, brought into the project was excellent. And, and he was, I remember your comment about the sound, about how you felt that you removed your headphones to listen if there is the music playing. <laughs> In the, the motel scene. Yeah, this, this person had, was, was so professional. We sat down on every bit of detail on how sound is going to approach the audience. Uh, people who experienced this film in the, in the theater, were even more blown away because it was a yeah. 5.1 mix. Yeah. And, and, and the beauty of this film is, is really shown in, in, in its full capacity when you, when you watch it in 5.1. Oh, brilliant. But it doesn't mean that in studio it wasn't good. This guy, he, he tricked me in many things. I, I, <laughs> I kept saying, wait, someone is talking outside. He said, no, that's the film. Yeah. <laughs> And he said, I'm going to do this intentionally if you give me the space to, because I want people to feel like they're immersed inside this world. Mm. And it was one of the directorial decisions that you usually take as a director. Do you want to pe place people inside the scene or make them observe it? So we balanced that between the scenes. It was difficult. It had many uh, trials and errors and, and no, this I don't think will work. But in general, yeah, you face problems in every film and uh, you just have to take a decision. Do you want to go this way or this way? Stop this, create another thing. Ah, one of the major things that we faced was the explosion of the trucks. Yeah. We were going to do it. And then everything was planned. Explosive were planted in the floor, the trucks were parked, we're ready. We had lunch. <laughs> we came back into the location. It was like only half an hour. And the wind was blowing crazy from everywhere. So he said, I'm sorry, but we can't. This is not possible. Uh, Safety-wise, yeah. uh, the smoke will be spread everywhere and it won't have that marshmallow feel or, or you know, the yeah. cinematic feeling of an explosion. We tried the first day, the second day, the third day, we couldn't and it's going to cost money to rent those 
trucks. So we had to CGI it. I'm not happy with it that much, but you have to sacrifice things and mm. things happen and you have to just say, okay, I'm going to make this film. I can't stop. Yeah. But it is interesting hearing about when decision gets made to go between CGI or practical. And there's, it's always, um, there, there was a movie actually called uh, The Thing, the 2011 version. And in that, they did the whole, this whole scene where there's this monster smashing around. And they did that entirely with practical effect. But in post-production, they went over top of it with CGI. But I, I couldn't find any reason for it. And so it's always interesting to hear when, you know, because I, I, I did note those explosions were, were CGI. And I had that question in my head. I thought, oh, is that, was that a budget thing? Or was that a, you know, a safety thing? Was it a couldn't get the license to make a big loud explosion? It depends. It depends on the scene, on what you're doing, the entire film. Like my entire film doesn't have CGI. It's like small effects for the memory, yeah. which I was happy with. It was really nice, light. The VFX team were very good in understanding what I want. But when it comes to, to a film which is very realistic, like it's, it's not a CGI type of, of, of a story, it's not like a, a, an Iron Man or a kind of like, let's say, uh, you know, the kind of, of films that yeah. you know that these are CGI things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not real, but I had to choose between this or this. And of course, the, the number one reason would be budget. On the, if, I, if I did the explosion, the SFX style, it would cost me less, of course, because it's just someone who's explosives uh, expert. He comes, plants these things. They don't harm anyone. They just give you that big bang. And yeah. he, he even splashed the cars with, 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 with like a coating so they don't burn. And, and it was going to cost me nothing. It's, it's very cheap. But when you do it once, and then you can't do it because of the weather. The second day, something else happened. <laughs> then you're running into something called a loop. If you don't take a decision, it's going to drain money out of your production. And, and renting those cars wasn't easy in Iran, especially, because they don't have these kind of trucks that they are willing to put exposed to an explosion, <laughs> you know? Yeah. People make money out of these trucks. It's yeah. their daily lives. That's how they get, get their daily, that's where they work. So yeah. it depends. Sometimes, SFX costs more than VFX, but it's more realistic. So it, it's your choice and your choice has to come from number one budget. And then with that budget, you have to make it as convincing as possible. And it depends on the team you're working with, the type of people. Uh, there are things you would say, no, I don't want them. Uh, they will ruin the film. They won't help. It's a series of a complex web of decisions that happen at the same time every day. Yeah. As a director, you have to just be able to see that big picture in a split of a second. Because if you don't take that decision on that day, many things will fall back and you will get late on shooting and, uh, you know, said, uh, things go haywire <laughs> during production. And so, I mean, you, you've mentioned a little bit about budget there and stuff. And I mean, you don't have to go into 
specifics, whatever you want to talk about. But so you met and you met, you said you met your uh, the other producer at a festival. Was that sort of the beginning stage of moving it from script to being actually made? Was it was he the one that then raised money, or did you did you were you able to raise money through? production companies or government funding or Netflix? Like, could you just explain a little bit about how In Paradox actually got off from the script stage to being filmed? Yeah, uh, he was the person who made me find the exact budget of the film, the, the producer I found in, and met in, in that festival. And with his help, I was able to rewrite the story in a way to make it work as an abstract country because I didn't establish where the story was happening and I did that on purpose. Hmm. So he helped me with selecting certain kind of locations and I did that and then I rewrote certain parts and then I said, okay, how much would this number of days be for this film? And we had to calculate every every bit of detail. And this is when I started to uh, pitch for investors and, and other executives here in Kuwait. Yep. And we gathered the budget from four different entities. Okay. Uh, right. Yeah, it was uh, two people who are willing to invest as executive producers in the film industry here, and two other people who had, uh, uh, it's like, a, uh, okay, I will help you with this budget, but then I will need something else from you. Every kind of investor or person who enters a project like this would want something in return. It's mm -hmm. not just oh. Yeah. Okay, I want my name, I want this, I, this is what I want, this is the, you know, so it was gathered through that way, and uh, what really helped place this project into the step of being greenlit was the script and the actors and the locations I had in mind. I made like a small pitch PowerPoint presentation and it's like a film package, but a slight one, small one. Yeah. And that's what really helped me pick up that project into the production phase. He helped bring people. He contacted people. It was like work between me and him. And then it took me somewhere around, I think, a year to manage to find the right people and the right number of investments for Impact. And and you mentioned that uh, that producer had some cast. Is that right, or did you did you get yes. the like? Yeah. Okay, I'll help you. I'll bring some kind. These are the cast that are like let's say cast these people. I'm very good friends with them. They are okay, good yeah. star, very highly well known, high rated A list actors, and I can talk to them and tell them to lower down their prices a little bit because your first feature film and the budget is not that big. And especially with this film, I wanted to film in 45, or actually the schedule was 43 days of shooting, but we had to squeeze it to 28. Oh, <laughs> jeez, yeah, tight. That was my biggest 
like challenge. Yeah. To shoot this film in 28 days was extremely difficult. Mm. Yeah. I wouldn't do it in 28 days. If you say I should, should reshoot, I will do it in 50. This film <laughs> is a very difficult film. Yeah. It's the performances, the number of actors, the arcs, the uh, the scenes. Uh, you need to craft them well. Some scenes you had to let go of shots. Like was there was this shot when when after the gypsy said now you're ready remember them and all of that that one camera shot was to replace seven shots <laughs> because we had only one and a half hour to to, to finish Holy yeah and and I said to myself okay I, we are, it's like sometimes you sit with the DB and say okay what are the motifs that we're using in the camera language in this film that we're trying to say something and about this story we're telling it with this kind of camera movement he said we had several one shots they were short but they moved in these kind of ways what do you think so i said okay let's construct a one shot for this entire thing and then we just have one insert from one side just to cover this guy <laughs> and 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 we went to, I remember, take 14 or 15. It was hectic. The one time it's the actor, the other it's the focus, then it's this, then it's the composition, then it's the camera movement. And you have to repeat it again and again and again until, I, I'm not that level of a perfectionist, but I do take these things seriously when, when you know, yeah, of course, of course. You you know you're taking pride in your work, and you're you're wanting the story to be best as possible. So of course, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Oh well, that that you know adds uh, a lot more weight to that cinematography that comes across in the film. Then knowing that it was such a tight sort of shoot, uh, and yet comes across looking amazing. You've got some really great shots in there, and some great scenes. Um, we both really loved that scene. With the watch, was the watchmaker? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's two of them, the, the first scene with the watchmaker. Yeah. And then the map drawing scene. Yeah, the map drawing scene. Oh, wow. Uh, that's, that's, that's one of the scenes. I have a still of it and I printed it and, I, and it's hanging. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful, that. Like, we both were mesmerized by that. <laughs> yeah, just like, the, the colors in it, the, the lighting, yeah. the way the, uh, the shadows were on the, that old guy's face as he was mm. sketching. Yeah, uh, I, I like the green of the jacket of the watchmaker. Mm, it yeah. it just it it works so well with the sort of the, the the light browns of the of the lighting, and the the felt of the I think it was felt or velvet top of the desk and yeah yeah I I really like that. It really what helped me more with 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 the cinematography and the color of the film is when I scouted all the locations. Uh, it's because, you know, this is when you have a, uh, like I have a ba photography background, so I know about colors and all of these kinds. So I took some shots and I went and sat with the colorist because I decided who my colorist is going to be. I remember from a very long, very early stage. And we sat down and I told them, okay, this is, this is what I have. What approach do you think we are looking for in terms of the color, because this is my color palette. This is the contrast that I'm looking for. And this is the touch of other colors I'm going to add in the scene, uh, either from a character, a certain element, or you know. And he said, I think we would go with the Kodak look and feel of for your film. 
when I know Kodak, I filmed with Kodak before, and I know even still film of Kodak. I know how the colors work. So this is where the amazing costume designer, when I just told her Kodak, she said, with this color palette, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Mm. And her selecting those kind of colors, the production designer who selected even that touch of tint for, for the walls. Some of the walls, by the way, were not painted, were covered with fabric. It's a trick we use here in the Middle East. <laughs> you, you stretch fabric very hard on, on wood and you place them near the walls and you just nail them in and it looks like it's the wall. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And you film it with a certain kind of light and in a way like the, the watchmaker, his store was fully fabric. It wasn't painted. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have the budget. And I personally like fabric. It gives a touch to the location. Mm. It has this, this sense. So when I use it for the camera the candle scene, we planned this like three days ahead with the lighting, we did two, three, four tests just to make sure that, because this scene is smack in the middle of the film. Mm. And we wanted to show that this is like, for example, the tunnel, or let's say the point of pitch black. When you bring someone, this, is, this guy is time, this guy is space. Mm. So they're creating the new world that he's going to go to and through to reach that labyrinth and then find himself and his ring and all the memories. So that's, that decision came from the, the, the cinematographer. He's, he's someone I'm, I'm happy to work with a million times. He's very talented, very well uh, with working on fast uh, pace. Some of the problems, when you said we had problems with lighting also, in the old city, we, there, were, there were certain places where we couldn't find three-phase electrical uh, inputs. So, yeah. okay, what do we do? So he said, okay, I have a solution. It's going to take time, but it's going to affect the shooting and the performance, which is, he said, I'm going to use mirrors to reflect the sun inside the basement that they're held inside uh, with the guy safe wearing his hat and when he caught the main character with Layla. So I said, uh, let's see how you can work with that. And it was extremely difficult, you know, when, when you're shooting, okay, the next day, oh, no, give me five minutes. I have to readjust the mirror. <laughs> and if it was light, you can go again and again and again. But when it's the sun, the sun is moving and, and the effect every three to four minutes, the shadow would, would show that it's in a different yeah. location. So you have to readjust the mirrors. And so it, 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 the whole film was, was a, a collaboration between many amazing artists that I worked with. And I'm, I'm grateful that I worked with them because they had that experience, which I remember one of my teachers said, if you're going to work on your feature film, Everyone in that team has to have 10 years ahead of you. Mm. Yeah. You can't be the, the oldest guy in that team. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. You ask a lot of successful businessmen, they'll say the same thing is that the, the, the best way of being successful is to surround yourself with smarter people. You know, get, get people, get a really good accountant. You don't have to be a good accountant. 
get someone who's better than you at accounting, at law, at you know, modeling, at whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So they were very well experienced. And when I whenever I explained something through storyboards or the colors, and sometimes I used to draw things on set, on location, let's change this camera to here and here and here. They were extremely experienced to be able to take those sudden decisions and transform them into real time uh, and, and, and in a very short time, especially with those 28 days. It was, it was, it was, like, it was something. Yeah. <laughs> like a journey. Yeah. It's probably because you've said that fabric thing, because, you know, we, I remember we talked a bit about that scene, like it felt like a painting. You know, it felt like it looked like a painting. And now that you've said the fabric, mm. I can kind of understand. I think that's why, as an audience member, we're kind of going, wow, this, this, this scene is like popping like a painting. You know, like he somehow filmed a painting. But it's real. It's obviously the people are real. <laughs> I think yeah. I gave him a reference of a painting of Rembrandt. Ah. Uh, yeah, and I said, it's going to be something like this. This scene is going to be one of the Rembrandt moments. Mm. very low light and yeah. fabric and, and everyone understood what that means and they just yep. executed it beautifully. Yeah, great. Really great. Can I'll just ask a real specific question. The main character doesn't have a name? Is that is that right? Like, yeah, you're right. No, he doesn't. Uh, I was just going to say, was that intentional or yeah? what was the idea there? Yeah. He had a name on paper. In the script, of course, he had a name. It was yeah. Darib, which is a strain. It wasn't a name. It was like a, a, a reverb. So when I sat down with the team and the actors, and I said, I have an idea of not giving him a name. He doesn't say his name. You don't say his name. They said, why? So I said, he can be anybody. It's like, and if it slips, easily and you don't notice it that it's intentional let's say it's a mistake but does it trigger anything does anyone notice it we had scenes just in case where he says his name and they reply or i said to the editor listen i have this in mind and i did this i have these backup scenes or shots i mean shot just in case but I don't want him to say his name and I don't want them to call him. Right? Mm. And he said, that's very interesting. It's, it gives this idea that this man could be any one of them and he could be any one of us. Mm. So why that's not? Good. It's yeah. not important. Sometimes the name, I think, because here in, in the Middle East, especially when you give someone a name, Sometimes, you know, the name affects that kind of character. Like if you say oh, John, yeah. okay, I know how John would look like. You know? <laughs> I would know how like this, this name would look like with this kind of character. Because names have characters, you know? Yeah, definitely. We wanted, I, it was a test. And I said, if it doesn't work, we'll put those shots and we'll make him with his name and we're going to be fine. I had several things that I've done in the film, but I always had that backup shot there just in case we needed to take uh, the decision of bringing that back into the, into the excellent and so what about the process of um of getting onto netflix what what were you involved in that or was that more on the produce for the producer um and also how does it feel to have a film on netflix from your point of view because uh, it was it was me who, who 
like work towards that Netflix deal. And um, we have an amazing distributor here in Kuwait. It's one of the oldest uh, cinema companies here in Kuwait. They, they own all, like the oldest theaters. So he is a very well-situated distributor. He knows people on the higher level of distribution. And I said, listen, if you're going to help me with this film, I really want something that I've been looking forward to for my first feature, and it's Netflix. And he said, I'll be happy to work. And uh, what Netflix looks for are high quality productions. Doesn't mean the budget is high, as long as you have acting, you have a story, you have good camera work, the quality of the image, the sound, the music, and locations. It's an appealing film. No matter if people like it or not, it's taste at the end. People will, can love or not like any film, but these are the standards. Make sure you have them in your film. So I said yes, and I, that's what I had in mind while shooting, and, and that's why I went for that kind of level, let's say, that I didn't want to compromise. This is something that I have to have. It's a must in this film, so it gets distributed into that platform. And thankfully, uh, with some work from him as a distributor with the people at Netflix, it worked out and we signed the deal and it went through. Right. <laughs> and it's a good thing we got the worldwide part. Usually our films from the Middle East only get Middle East distribution, not, not worldwide. Yeah. No, I think I think we are getting more international uh, films on Netflix now. As we we've been watching, you know, Ger uh, not German, like Spanish and Turkish and and uh, Chinese, and um, I'm watching a, a German TV series at the moment. It's it's great, and the thing thing I do like about these is is it brings a, a different cultural aspect. You know, like often uh, relationships between characters, for example, or the way uh, a character reacts to a situation, even if it's, you know, what would appear to be a, a fairly sort of Hollywood-style film, it's always a bit different. You know, we watch these Chinese films and they've tried to do like a Hollywood blockbuster and it looks a bit like a Michael Bay sort of explosions uh, and all the rest of it. But uh, the way the characters react and the way the society um, reacts to these disasters very different to the way an Australian or, or European or, or American. It's, they have this diversity of voices from different parts of the world being streamed into one place. And this is where you get to see uh, productions from everywhere. Uh, I, I'm seeing productions from all over the world. Okay, for me, I, I, I'm already a person who already seeks certain kinds of productions from out of what people are used to. So I, I, don't, I don't just go to the cinema. No, I search for uh, Chinese films, uh, Japanese, Korean cinema, Italian, Spanish, Iranian, Russian cinema, all the way I've seen work from Australia to Europe to North America, South America and Canada. I look for everything because as you said, that diversity gives you an understanding of how cultures work or live around the world. Mm. 
it, it, it widens your aspect of how people perceive this, this world or, or daily life. Like a small reaction to something simple in this part of the world is maybe totally different mm. in another part of the world. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's something that you need to watch just so you can understand the language. And, and at the end, the language of cinema is all about people and how they live their lives in their part of the world. And it's, it's, it's really interesting to be able to see these kind of things. And that's why I wanted to be one of those people who puts a film out there. And I say, okay, now I hope it reaches to those people who love to watch other films that are not in English. And let's hope and see what it reaches. And you guys came up and uh, I'm really thankful that you gave so much time for this film and created that review, which is, something I really enjoyed listening to and uh, well thank you and I'm with you right now yeah thank you and I mean that's I mean that's something that we both love as film lovers and 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 writers and and storytellers ourselves but we love that kind of take if you take Australian cinema quite often Australian cinema you know the narrative arc is pretty traditional three-act structure but we tend to in Australian cinema it's not the most happiest ending you know like the ending is always a little bit brutal or a little bit rough you know it's not quite that you know and, and that's a huge difference between american cinema and australian cinemas we always tend to have this rough ending you know uh, but that's obviously our culture that <laughs> that's our culture speaking through film that australian filmmakers we won't quite have that happy ending you know that not that quite you know everything works out right at the end um, and that, and that, this is what's fantastic about something like Netflix as a platform is getting these different stories from around the world, these different voices. And you see, you know, like even like your, your film, you've still got that traditional narrative structure, but then we're seeing it through your eyes, you know, your interpretation and your culture coming through that, you know, and, and that's brilliant for us. Like that's, that's a fantastic experience as an audience member, you know, um, so that, that's, that's really enjoyable. Um, what about you? Do you have a favorite scene from your film? Is there something that you really love? Actually, I love a lot of scenes <laughs> in my film, but I enjoy the one, uh, let's say, there, there is a scene near the end uh, where, where the main character uh, sits in the villa with the mayor and the girl and the other police guy. That scene, uh, I, I took my time shooting that scene very carefully because in those scenes that are one after the other, some people don't know that there are some scenes that I split into three days. And I enjoyed shooting that part and, and uh, seeing those performances come on the screen with, from those actors was something I, I'm proud that I have worked with them. and. I think that scene, the candle scene, is one of my top. I have it printed. The candle scene <laughs> is, is, is one of my favorites in terms of the lighting, the, the acting, the, the reactions, how, how very less minimal dialogue and, and there is so many going on between what they're saying in their eyes. And I can say, yeah, but the whole film has a special place uh, to me because it's my first feature. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's a, a question we always ask 
at the start of our episode. And that is the question, is the movie a movie of hope? Is it a warning or an experiment? And we're wondering what you would classify this movie of. Is it, is it about hope? Is it some sort of a warning or some sort of experiment? Actually, this film is like to, sh to put light on something that usually humans, not all of them quite understand, which is letting go of the past and, and, and or confronting your past with what has happened because it's, it's never the end. And, uh, it's, let's say it's a mix of a, 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 a sweet warning with hope. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, maybe we'll move on a little bit to talk just about yourself as a uh, filmmaker. So we do, we know, and you, you've mentioned it, that you were a photographer. Is, is the photography and the filmmaking just in your mind gone hand in hand? Or did you kind of get into uh, photography and then you've now shifted over to filmmaking? Why did you want to become a photographer and then a filmmaker? Or how has that process happened for you as an artist? Actually, filmmaking was was my intention or my goal since I was very young. I remember walking into Universal Studios and being blown away by, oh my God, this is how they make films. Mm. This is easy. <laughs> I want to do that when I grow up. Yeah. And then slowly, when you start growing into that idea and time passes by and then when you feel now a sign that I want to do this, there's no cinema in Kuwait. <laughs> okay, so what do I do? You, you, you can either go for, of course, we, we in Kuwait are more focused on TV series yep. and theater. So people advise me to look into both, follow and see what's, what might interest you, you might work in one of those fields. I couldn't be attracted to them a lot, but I still, I, I love, I personally love theater more. It's, it's something uh, close to me more than TV. I stayed there following certain kinds of friends and being with them while they created those plays and everything, but to not lose that sense of capturing a certain scene and uh, giving it that meaning. I, I used photography to, to keep that part in me alive. So I used to take certain kinds of photos. I remember uh, I, I took my time, really took my time. I even used the traditional way of going out with our camera and just scouting, and looking for places. And then, okay, I'm gonna come shoot here tomorrow. And then I come the next day and then with my small camera, I have a small Leica, and click, 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 you create your images. And this is where I started to also create sequence of images that had a certain meaning. It's like cinema, you know? Mm. But that's moving and these are still. And uh, it, it helped me a lot to know how to compose my scenes. Like what do I put in that scene and what I don't? Why do I need this part and why don't I need this part? The colors, what they mean, how they make you feel as, as a viewer. This taught me a lot because 
experimenting with photography gives you certain things as a start so you can know slightly not not exactly like cinema but because that is a scene that is moving and something else but here is like maybe more of compositions how colors and light and shadows affect this the scene yeah right that's what i i took with photography and took it into with me into filmmaking is there anything in photography the art of photography that you think should be more of in film or that or that isn't in present in film but you think probably could be used yes because i i it depends on the style the director wishes to use like it's it, it's it even it's dictated by what type of stories you like like i can't come and tell someone use that artistic touch in gun girl it doesn't work that's a side certain kind of genre that needs a certain kind of mood and feel and, and light. But if you're going to the level of, because I, I love also Akira Kurosawa, and he's one of the directors that fascinated me with his compositions and how he composed the scene. And, and I saw them like, you, you just click, pause, and that's a photo. <laughs> What's amazing, how did he do that? So it's, I try to learn how to create those kind of things. It depends if you're the style that, let's say, if you're Guillermo del Toro side, or somewhere around maybe, uh, what's his name? I forgot. There are certain directors, when you look at their films, you notice that there is a touch of someone who is very, precise and detailed about the image that he is presenting on the screen. It's, it's so detailed, the light, the amount of details, the characters, how they move in that scene. It's like someone who is crafting a beautiful scene, not just a story. Mm. It helps in certain kinds of genres, but in, in other styles, like if, if you go to Roger Deakins, he, he, this is this is one of the masters, I believe. He created Sicario with a documentary feel, like of, of image, with natural lighting, and then he created Blade Runner. Is that the same person? <laughs> it's um, this is this is when you come into the face of, a, of someone who is extremely professional. Mm. I'm a cinematographer. I'll give you what you want, and then he created this. Now recent masterpiece 1917 which blew me away and it depends the style of genre the, the style of the story where do you want to take the audience do you want to make them feel dreamy uh, in a fantastical way or take them into a different world with slight perfection or do you want to give them that gritty reality look of uh, how harshness looks like. That's the decision that you're gonna have to take if you feel that photography should go into filmmaking. Actually, because filmmaking is a set of photographs in 24 frames per second. And <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, everything you are saying there, I mean, um, I'm not sure if you've seen much of, you know, Stanley Kubrick, you know, uh, for me, 
Yes, you know, like, I know you reminded me exactly. Where everything you were just saying, you know, it's like if you look, if you go, I, he's someone that I've always loved, and it's like you, his films because he's pretty much done one film in each of the major genres, and yet each of them are very unique. But then there's still his kind of attention to detail in each style, like it's quite amazing. And then maybe more of um, a modern day filmmaker like David Lynch or Tim Burton, like you see their abstract styles in different stories come through. So everything you're saying. Anderson. Yes. Anderson. Yeah. And his yeah, symmetry, yeah. the perfection, you know? So it's different. It's different from every director to another. And it depends yeah, yeah. on your style. And, so do you, are you trying to develop a style yourself or are you, are you, or is there someone that you would like to emulate like that in your future films that are coming? I'm trying to find, find my style as a director and uh, it, it's going to take another film to really put a, 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 like a fixed grasp on, yes, this is me and I'm going to develop it and make it look even more better and appealing to people and no, just keep making them Hamad. just keep making them that's all you need to do just keep doing them uh, you, you just keep making films and yeah. until you reach a place where they say that's it there's Hamad's style we got it <laughs> and uh, it's it's with every film you learn something even during the short film stage and, and working with other friends making films it's like you learn so much with every project even if you are at the most advanced stage of what you think you have reached, and it's still, it amazes me how humble uh, some very well-known directors are. I shadowed one director once in, in Berlin in shooting one of his films. And uh, because I signed a non-disclosure agreement, I can't say who he is or, or yeah. what the film is, but this person is, is constantly making, when I sat with him, I, I feel like he's still learning. And I asked him this question. I said, do you still feel that you have to learn more? He said, you never stop learning. Mm. There's always something that you want to fix from your other film in this one. Mm. And then you find something else in this film. He says, maybe you don't see these slight imperfections or mistakes, but I see them. Mm. And that's how why they keep making films and telling stories and other stories until they reach a certain point where that's it. Like uh, this guy has established something like Spielberg, yeah. that's it. Spielberg is Spielberg, uh, Kubrick is Kubrick. Uh, Brian De Palma, Fincher, these guys already, that's it. They have a style, Wes Anderson, every single, director has a style and it's very distinct and you can see him and even how he selects his stories what he tells what he likes to say and uh, that's what every let's say filmmaker or director wants for himself to reach like a state where he finds himself mm. so is there anyone you've you've mentioned a few names there is there anyone either and you, you said you just shadowed a director previously like is there anyone out there, if you, if you had the ability to work with anyone, a director, an actor, a DOP, and you just had that little magic golden ticket to, to kind of get them on your set or... Not, not yet, but I really, really wish I can... I want to sit with three directors and okay. see how they yeah. work. Yeah. I want to learn pacing from Scorsese. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, this guy, when he paces his shots and his scenes, I just want to feel how he does it. Because mm. you can never teach pacing. You have to discover yours on your own. And I just want to see how he does it. And I, I'm, I'm one of the people who wants to see how Nolan works on, on set and Fincher. Mm. Yeah. Good choices. Good choices. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I, I want to see many. Yeah. Uh, if, if it's possible, I can at least choose nine or ten. <laughs> yeah. And I'll just need one, one day with every one of them. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk to my good mate, uh, James Cameron and, and Spielberg and see if they can line you up with someone. <laughs> like, for example, uh, Spielberg, if you sit with this person and you, you see how this guy never storyboards. I don't think so, because mm. that's it. Yeah. He knows his shot list when he reads the script. Mm. He knows what he's doing. But you can see his sense of style when you watch his films, how he places his camera. He uses this kind of triangle thing. I don't know if you've noticed, sometimes he, when he shoots someone from this side and the line is going this way, the next cut is this, is here. Hmm. It has to be somewhere that, that creates a, a, a cross intersection with a wider angle. That's how he uses most of his shot lists. The camera's work with Spielberg is, is, and his one, one shot famous one shots are, are like remarkable. The one in Schindler's List, and Catch Me If You Can. And I don't know how these guys are capable of doing this kind of thing, but I think it's a level when you discover and find things in yourself that takes you to those places. Uh, so I guess. Uh, before we, we move on, what else should we know about your work or your aspirations? Well, to make films as much as I can and uh, hopefully to be able to make a film that is... I, I have this, this, this slight dream of making features in English, not in Arab. I know I can, uh, and I have something that I know is going to be appealing for the audience. I've kept those kind of stories for later on, because if you're going to say something about a certain kind of uh, part of the world, like we just discussed, when I tell stories here in Kuwait or the Arab world or the Middle East, I can't say this guy is a rocket scientist because we don't have rocket scientists. <laughs> I can't say this guy is this or this guy is... There are certain kinds of stories, especially in the genre that we love, which is science fiction. The sci-fi part and this fantastical parts is not that well developed here in the culture at all. Although we had in the early civilizations, let's say, for example, in Babel, there were so many in the Babylonians who had a civilization that's full of science fiction. But how come we can't tell their stories? I don't know. It's maybe about the audience, it's about the culture. They, they, they somehow cannot accept these kind of genres from within. It has to come imported from the outside. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll see a, a, an interstellar, an inception, and, and Dark Knight, or whatever science fiction 
Ex Machina, let's say, for example, one of my mm. favorite films. It's a very well-written film. We can't make that kind of storytelling here, although mm. I would love to tell those kind of stories. But I feel myself limited in this genre. And I think maybe this will make, will give me something that I will add to maybe. Because they always say when you're limited in a certain place and you're told to be creative in this small, tiny space, then you have to have come up with something really amazing to fit that small part. Mm. So after that, I would like to expand further. And it's only possible if I did something international. It doesn't have to have a certain country. It can be anywhere. But as long as it's possible to be accepted by those cultures like i can't make a time travel film if you you've seen dark maybe on on netflix yeah i'm watching that currently yeah it's great it's 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 something that's blown me away i finished all the seasons and that type of storytelling let's say or that kind of of genres and style and sci-fi way of telling stories at the end people don't realize that we filmmakers take you into a sci-fi kind of world just to give you a special kind of, let's say, a glasses. Mm -hmm. I give you a certain kind of prescriptive glasses so you can see the things that I want to show you of what's going on with these people. At the end, it's about people. Yeah. We're not telling stories about trees. It's, it's, <laughs> Yeah, it's emotions, people, they have conflict, feelings, loss, sorrow, happiness, it's ups and downs of many emotions. I would like to go through the route of telling stories from that kind, but it's going to be something that maybe can happen later on. Mm. I don't know. So it sounds like you're sort of, it's a bit of a similar situation in Australia as well. We, you know, our, our filmmaking scene is predominantly government funded and so then there's pretty heavy restrictions on the genres really that get promoted by you know the government funders there's not a lot of private investment in australia um, and so the australian stories that do get made they sort of have to have you know cultural significance or they have to be they they, they sort of quite often end up being in that just really heavy drama stage. So stuff like science fiction, again, um, horror, uh, you know, action, even just an action film don't tend to get made here, you know, just because of that limitation of funding. Um, but then that's... A, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly like Kuwait, yeah. We're, we're facing the same thing. It's like you either go with those heavy drama or melodramas, TV series, soap yeah. opera style, or <laughs> maybe slightly you go a period drama is like back in the 60s mm. maybe something about uh, normal crimes that happen and that's it but mm. uh, that's a very narrow scope we need to widen yeah definitely yeah so you've talked a bit about like you just said dark and ex machina uh, have you got a favorite science fiction film at all is there something in the back catalog that stands out to you several films actually and and um, you know I like the films that just surprise me with what's unexpected this might not be one of the sci-fi films but prestige 
is mm. one of the films yeah. that was very well written and told on mm. the screen. And it surprised me to, to a level which is, yeah, wow. It's like the others, the sixth sense, uh, ex machina, uh, the, the, the idea behind placing that artificial intelligence with a human and making that interaction look so convincing what, what appealed to me so much. But my ultimate, maybe favorite, recent favorite is Arrival, I think. Which one, sorry? Arrival. Arrival, oh, yeah, yes, yeah. with the, uh, the, yeah. the aliens that talk in time loops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah, it's like, I, I thought she had memories, but it, then at the end, she tells you, no, these are her, she sees the future. Oh, wow. Mm. Now that, that's unexpected. It's yeah. simple. But, and I don't like maybe very heavy sci-fi with meta things like Westworld. Yeah. It confuses me a lot. I love watching them. I love my brain being like uh, swirling in, in, inside the story. But I, I think I tend to more enjoy the type of films that are within the sci-fi realm, but have that slight touch. Mm, yeah. I mean, as a filmmaker, you, you probably see something like The Arrival. Uh, it's that, you know, you realize at the end that you were kind of conned a little bit, a little bit manipulated, but you kind of go, oh, they got, damn it, they got me. <laughs> but that's enjoyable, isn't it? You know, you're like, it's like, a, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, sweet manipulation. It's, I yeah. think <laughs> after, after reading a lot about filmmaking and meeting a lot of people in this in this industry I, i've noticed that the more you can manipulate people in the film the way you want them they will come out extremely happy i just tricked you and played with your emotions and, yeah. and you're happy yes oh okay wow yeah, so i think says. learning that that those techniques and tricks into manipulating people make you like someone you shouldn't like or be a, feel that empathy towards this person which you shouldn't mm. uh, and then play around with your head and bring you on the other side in the end of the film or put you in a place i think because people are somehow uh, they love being uh, let's say taken into a place that is not out of reality but it's the, the, the circumstances of what happens is not something they're used to see. Because I remember one of my friends saying, if I'm going to watch a film, it has to be something I haven't experienced in my life. Mm, yeah. I've seen people fight. I've seen people go into gunfights. I've seen people like be possessed with certain kinds of spirits. It's things I've seen in life. I want to see something new. Mm. And... I, I, I can really relate to him. And that's what I told you at the beginning. It's, it's those style of films where there's that sweet manipulation and a slight touch of sci-fi or a bit of fantasy. Like let's say, for example, Life of Pi is one of also mm, my yeah. all time favorites. And the question you ask at the end, Shutter Island. Um, I love the idea of Inception but I would have changed one thing in the film. 
and it would be I would make his goal to save his wife who is lost in the dream world. Mm, like yeah. And, and yeah, uh, it would be more personal. You know, the more personal the story is, the more people remember it and never forget. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's how I love why I love filmmaking when it touches me personally. Like yeah. the first film that really hit me deep was Schindler's List. Mm. I still I think I saw it on VHS. Mm. VHS and I was sitting and it was just released. We just rented the film and we we're all watching and I was like, wow, what is this film? We yeah. have color. Why is he shot in black and white? Mm. And then when you realize why and what he's trying to say and all those emotions inside that film, it's 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 remarkable how filmmaking can really affect people and, and change them. And that's yeah. why I love filmmaking. That's fantastic. And he just he puts that little girl in the red, if you remember in Schindler's yeah, List. You know, exactly. just to kind of yeah. in the, yeah, when the Nazis are around in the more Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? Well, that's that's cool, and the VHS would have added to that, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the interlaced image. Oh my God, yeah, I can't. So, where do you see yourself over the next five years? What's 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 coming up? Uh, I see myself with another film that's being screened everywhere and working on another one. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Uh, this next script. I finish and in time and then start working on this next film. So yeah, are, are you, are you fin just finishing a script or is it still, you know, a few months away or? It's, it's in the, not in the beginning, it's somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I'm just working on some details to refine uh, inside the story and hopefully, let's say maybe by the end of this year, I'll have the script ready. And uh, it's a good time. People are all at home, so I'm <laughs> used to that, you know. You know what's strange is about people telling me, aren't you really fed up of staying at home? So I said, no, I'm always at home writing. <laughs> it's not something weird. Maybe yeah. you guys, it's new for you. But for me, it's something I've, I'm used to, sitting at home or going to any place and just sitting to write and write and write. It's something I'm used to, and hopefully by the end of this year, we'll have that script ready and start working on the next film. I'm looking for people who would make this film with me. Excellent. And, cool. and what, would you, uh, what would you like to be your legacy in filmmaking? How, how would you like to be referenced? You know, if, if future filmmakers, they're looking at the, the works of Hamad al-Saraf, and they're like, what would they, what would they be saying? I don't know, you know, <laughs> maybe it will come on its own. I think it's while you, you know, while you discover yourself is, is an interesting process in filmmaking. It's, you, you keep telling stories in a certain way and you, it, they always say you, you can't always see how people look at, but then some kind of talk goes around after certain amounts of films, let's say, or time, and then people start to say things that you say, yes, I can understand what they're saying, but to be able to see what they would be saying about me, how, how I would like to be seen, I really don't know, not yet. <laughs>
Yeah. Not yet. But do you, are you hopeful? Like, uh, you, like you said, you might in the future expand beyond uh, Kuwait. But would you like to leave a legacy in Kuwait cinema? Would you like to kind of sh- shake it up? Like we were just saying that maybe they're a bit limited. Would you like to be the filmmaker that kind of goes no? Yes. Yes. Actually, I already am. I shook <laughs> the industry with M Paradox. It's something out of the box for them. Yeah. Good. Nobody has ever made a film in this genre in, in, in the Middle East, at least, mm. uh, with this kind of, of uh, approach. And um, everyone here in Kuwait, oh, yeah, and Paradox, is, this guy is crazy. <laughs> 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 he talks about people who have stories in their heads. And yeah. Create another world. Yeah. Yeah, it was a difficult film, it wasn't easy, but um, I remember the editor who worked with me on this film, he's, uh, he's one of the most famous editors well-known. He's the guy who edited the most ir- famous Iranian films, like the story of, I think there was a call. I don't know if you've seen this Iranian film, which is about a small uh, boy who's blind, small blind boy or another story about a girl and a boy who sent a letter to god oh okay yeah i feel his name, his name is hassan dust but he worked with majid majidi abbas Kristemi. Uh, he worked with like huge major uh, filmmakers he's not young he's, he's really old he's in the late 60s 70s i think when i first went to him and he said are you crazy this is your first feature film and you're making this difficult film? <laughs> Why? Just make a simple drama film at the beginning. I, said, I don't know how to make a drama film. It's not me. Yeah, yeah. It, it was very, very ambitious film. Like there's so many, so many moments where, where we had to be transported by uh, the actors' expressions and then uh, take cues from the way that the, the scene would change. And I've, I remember watching it constantly thinking, you know, where's this going? Is this, I got, I got to some point I was thinking, is this just a story about a property developer trying to, but like, I said, that can't, like, it seems too weird to, to just be like, uh, you know, like a, a Scooby-Doo story where the property developer is trying to scare off competition, you know? And, and I was, I was that and so I was going, no, it's you wouldn't have this whole memories and and a, and a strange dancing woman and and the old city and and yeah, so it was it was um it, it certainly wouldn't be an easy thing to do to shoot and prepare for and he said this is gonna if you make this film I think you would be graduating with three films at at one time because it has so many things that needs from you as a director and writer to work on. And I remember rewriting a scene on set just because I saw something maybe would look better with what happened in the performance. Oh, so so I took many leaps of faith, mm. <laughs> hopefully, and uh, I felt like I was a gambler who put everything all at once in this film and it, it was like <laughs> no more bets please everyone and then tech 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 and everything happened and slowly 
the film came out and thank God it was, we landed safely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, I'm grateful you took those risks because it paid off, like, because it is a great film. Um, do you have any advice? Like, I mean, Surrey's written a couple of books. I've made a couple of short films. I'm also writing, writing a couple of features, uh, you know, coming up and stuff. Do you have any advice to young filmmakers or people that are on that path? that are behind you, like you said, you got, you got the opportunity to mentor with another guy that's more of an acclaimed director. Do you have any advice that you would just give to, to people that are on the path um, behind you at the moment? Yeah, actually, um, I would give the same advice that was given to me. Always surround yourself with experienced filmmakers who have films made people who have made a lot of films. Those are the people you should surround yourself with, like screenwriting. Go to someone who has at least three or four films that have went on the screen and let him read and give you notes. Not just a normal script doctor. Of course, you have to go to script doctors. That's something so they can check these kind of things that normally we do not see ourselves. And by surrounding yourself with these kind of people who are very well experienced, open your everything, your ears, your heart, your mind, and always listen. You can always take the note or not, but listen, because you will never always be in the position where you will know. You will not know. Unless you've made several films, like you've made several short films. No, I know what I want as a director. I want to shot from here and shot, shot. That's it. You know, as a director, where you're heading while you shoot. But making feature films, especially feature films, it's a totally different thing than shorts. It's, it's, it's a short film amplitude. It's like if a short film was a bullet, a feature film would be a nuclear bomb. <laughs> yeah it's, it's the difference is that huge because there are so many details and and so many uh, things to do so many things to concentrate on and always try put like i i always tell small or young filmmakers to i know everyone wants to be a director that's something uh, we all aspire to but there are certain qualities in a director that everyone mentions. You have to have pace, you know, have to have uh, like, let's say, uh, management skills, you have to know people, you have to know how to direct actors. Okay, put all of what is written in books on one side. Yes, we all know that you need that. But there is one thing that a director must have and actually any filmmaker must have that will make you different from anyone else. It's that ability to see what you're doing from a different perspective and know if that is the taste or level that you want to be presented. It's like when someone who has just learned photography, oh yeah, look, it's very well composed, lit, yeah, but it's not saying it. It's, it's a normal image. I know it's professionally taken. I know everything is good, but it's just an image. But that's the difference in filmmaking. The, the, the filmmaker has that level and of taste and, and vision that he knows or she knows that, yes, 
this is something that not this is presentable it's like how you take care of yourself before you leave the house if you're going to a meeting or you want to meet a girlfriend or you want to impress someone you know yourself and you know where your capabilities are and there are things that can elevate that inside of you which is surrounding yourself with professionals and people who are extremely experienced that is the way towards like learning more and always listening to what other people say and points of views and then you gather them all in one place and then you start making things your own hopefully you take risks and things work out and you just keep moving fantastic advice really good um is there anything else that you would like to add anything that you would like to say yeah i would like to thank you guys and it was really amazing to talk to you and meet you uh, face like on on zoom you know hopefully <laughs> maybe one day i'll visit australia and see you guys face to face yeah definitely it was an, an amazing opportunity to speak to you all the way from kuwait and it's like on the other side of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the world and uh, it was a very amazing experience to experience well, what, what, with what we just had like on zoom it's it's an amazing experience honestly. yeah well we i think we both feel likewise it's amazing that you responded to the instagram and and gave us this opportunity we really appreciate it we've had a couple other filmmakers you know give us some feedback and things we had drew casson uh the uk director yeah. um we've had a couple of the australian directors grant spatore of i am mother we got to meet him at the he did a premiere because he's from perth as well where we are and um ben c lucas yeah ben c lucas yeah, he... is an australian director as well he gave us uh some feedback on his mm. film as well so we've been very humbled that you know certain directors are responding and giving us some sort of feedback and letting us know yeah and and we love to hear we love to hear the the ins and outs of the film because we will watch it and we will get uh, an audience view of it and and we'll consider it and how it affects us and all the rest of it but then it's it's always another question then well yeah is what was the, what was the original intention and and what were the what were the circumstances around the making of it and because there's there's sort of always a, a story behind the story you know if you will and and that's it's always fascinating to get that that insight yeah definitely i believe films are about one thing once you make the film it's not yours anymore mm. yes. it belongs to the audience whatever you saw the in the film how it made you feel what you understood what made confused you what made you feel this it's yours i cannot be the person who brings that flag or light or anything to guide you how to watch a film there is no if if that was the deal then every film would come with a guidebook <laughs> okay that's the beauty of art yeah some people would see the film in a totally different way like with every way their culture comes from like in our part of the world they saw a paradox about how the arab world has lost its identity and forgot the past or cannot confront its past every culture would see a film in a certain way and i believe that is extremely healthy but as you said sometimes it's amazing to know what's the story behind the story yeah. and that's something personal 
is I think what makes the the, the value of what we just had as as a conversation, which was really amazing. Oh, definitely, it was brilliant. Really loved talking to you, Hamid, and really appreciate you coming on and speaking to us. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. And have a, have a pleasant afternoon. Don't get too hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we look forward to, yeah, the next one. We, we want to see that next one. Hope you had a great time and uh, thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you, definitely. See, see you later. Bye. Well, that was Hamad. That was Hamad, the man himself. So where to in the future? Next episode will be a regular movie uh, show. Classic, won't it? Classic film. Yep, which is Demolition, Demolition Man. <laughs> the three Good seashells. Old, yeah. and oh, yes. What do you do with them? I still don't get it. I still don't get it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to old Stallone. Dennis Leary doing Dennis his rants. Leary, Sandra Bullock. Oh, this wonderful. is a classic, this film. I still remember seeing it at the cinemas. And it just, I was blown away. Yeah, uh, you'll laugh, you'll cry. <laughs> it's one of those films. You'll wonder what the three seashells are. Yes. And so, yeah, hit us up on our social media. We've got the Facebook, we've got the Instagram, we've got the Twitter, we've got the internet, sorry. We are available on all of those platforms. If you, if you Google the Space Brains podcast, you will find at least one or more of those entry points. Yeah, and it was great, Hamid, giving us some feedback on the specificness of listening to the show. I felt that was fantastic. So go and check that out. It's all on Instagram. His messages are there. I'm talking to him. Yes, I'm a real person. I'm not just a part of Surrey's imagination. And we're being... uh, We're making more contact with some of the writers and directors of, of some of the films we're making. So look forward in the future to possibly further special guests and interesting stories. Yeah, we're always open to interviewing more like Hummer. Yeah. All right. We'll catch you on our next episode. It's a classic. We'll see you then. See ya. Bye.